Thank you so much, Pastor Matt and everyone else. Thanks for nice saying nice things about me. The people that don't know me will think I'm a nice guy now. It's good to be here today to see so many friends here, like my friend Christian Becker sitting back there. Um, I usually only get to see Christian at the grocery store because he works at the grocery store I occasionally go to. My wife won't let me go to the grocery store because I spend too much money. But um, I love to go to the grocery store. She says, if she ever says to me, can you go get milk? I'm like, yeah. I just go down, up and down every aisle and get stuff. Because, hey, you need stuff. Yeah, and so it's good to see Nancy and Rick Kern sitting back there. And is Teresa Garcia here somewhere? Oh, hi, Teresa. So look, and you got some of your family with you. That's so cool. Look, my wife and I love Teresa and her husband, Kaz. They've always been so sweet to us. And I, many, many times at Life Church, I would walk up to Kaz and say hello, and he would say, you know you're my favorite missionary, right? You know, he wasn't joking around. And then he would also say to Sherry almost every time, you know, if you had another baby, I would deliver it for you. And he wasn't joking around about that either. But I wasn't joking either because I wouldn't have no other babies. But look, I, lo I love you, Teresa. I respect you and your family. And thank you so much for um, who you are in the body of Christ. And I know a lot of people don't realize who you really are in the body of Christ. But you're somebody special. So thank you for being here today. Come on. So look, when Pastor Matt and I talked um, a few months ago about me being here today, he told me that he and Katie would not be here because they were going to be celebrating their anniversary. Then this week he said, no, I just want to be there when you're there, so we're going to come. I didn't really realize until today that today, this very day, is their wedding anniversary. Is that awesome or what? How many years? 18? Man, that's amazing. You got married when you were 10, yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, Sherry and I have been married 40... Sherry and I have been married 49, and we got married when I was 10. So, no, it's their anniversary. So I just wanted to do something special for their anniversary. So, look, here's what I want to do, Matt. I have three $100 bills here. And so what I want to do is I want to give you this one. And this one's for Katie to spend on herself on anything she wants, okay? And this one is for your family so Katie can spend that on anything she wants. <laughs> And this one is for you so that Katie can spend anything she wants on you. <laughs> and so I just want to say happy anniversary. I celebrate with you. Um, what a great thing to have a pastor who's been faithful and married and you chose well and you got those beautiful little kids. I had the best time with his kids last night and again this morning. Such a sweet family. And so let's just clap our hands and congratulate them on their anniversary. <laughs> And I like it that you're just about crying. You got those big tears in your eyes. So I suggest everybody that can tell them happy anniversary today. And I don't want you to give them your tithes or your crazy money. You know, you don't give away your crazy money too easy. How many have crazy money? Yeah, I, have, I, I plan to do this today. I have crazy money, but I'm not giving you my crazy money. But give them something. Just give them something, and they can go celebrate this week. And um, I love these guys so much. I love this church. I love, I'm honored to be part of this church and to serve on the board. And look, we have the best times back there in that conference room. We talk. We, look, 
I'm on several boards of ministries, and Pastor Matt is the best. When you go in there, and he has this huge whiteboard, and he has so much stuff on that thing, and lines, and diagrams, and dreams, and plans. I love all that. And you know, it actually inspires me when I'm around him, and I want to go, I do have a whiteboard in my office, but I want to go get that thing and just start writing stuff everywhere on it. And th this is an amazing church, and so I'm honored to be here today. Already mentioned something about my wife, and um, love her. It's good to have. I told her this morning. I told her actually last night. A lot of people, a lot of traveling ministries on Saturday night, if they went to a service, their wife wouldn't go with them, but not my wife. She's right there with me, and uh, I love it. So we both had surgeries in the last couple months. I had a back surgery. She had a shoulder surgery. I say that right, shoulder. I want to say soldier every time. She had a soldier surgery, but. Um, but we, we just want to run the race fast for the, for the rest of our lives, and so we need to do it, get a little tweaking done there. And um, so that's why I, we weren't sitting out here during the worship because, I get, because of the back surgery. I can stand, obviously, <laughs> barely. No, I can stand, but I only have so many hours of stand in me every day. And so um, just pray for us that we recover 100% and I can always outrun her. Because, look, if I don't, she will beat me up. So I so missions, uh, so we're missionaries. Pastor Matt already mentioned that. And missions is something that we don't really have a good definition of in the church today, not this church, but in the church. And um, missions is Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God told Abraham, rise up from the place where you are, go to the place I will show you, and there I will make you a great nation. That's the world's first missionary. Missions is when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We've made missions, called a lot of other things missions. And they are part of the mission of the church, like helping the poor, helping widows, doing things like that. But real, true, biblical missions is going somewhere else. It's like Paul was a New Testament missionary. Most of the epistles are the, the books that he wrote in the Bible are a letter from a New Testament missionary to a sponsoring church. That's why in Philippians 1.5, Paul said, one, actually verses 3, 4, and 5, I thank God upon every remembrance of you from your fellowship or your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's how missions work. So if we are the missionaries over here and you are the church over here, you can't fulfill the Great Commission without us. And we can't fulfill the Great Commission without you. It's like Romans chapter 12, it takes those who go, those who sin, and goes those who hear. That's what it really takes. So it's a partnership where we join together to do a great work for the Lord. We can't do that without you. Every missionary has to have prayer support, financial support, logistical support, and moral support. You guys provide that for us. When we travel around the world, we carry the same anointing that Pastor Matt has, like, I felt the presence of God up here this morning when he was just talking and preaching the first message of the service. But um, we carry the same the exact same anointing. We carry that with us, and we impart that everywhere we go. So it's a partnership where we join together. And how many remember the little saying when you were a kid, this is a church, this is a steeple? That's what it's all about. So look, I want to show you a video this morning, and I hope you in the back can see it. If you can't, just move up a little bit during the video. But this is just one of the things that we do all the time to help people with leprosy. 
என்னுடைய பேர் பாஸ்முத்து என்னுடைய ஒரு முப்பது வருஷமா தொழில்நோயாளத்தில் மினிஸ்டர் பண்ணிட்டு இருக்கேன் அங்கே ஒரு பக்கத்தில் பெரிய ஹாஸ்பிட்டல் ஒன்று இருக்கு அங்கே வர மக்கள் சில நேரம் ரிட்டர்ன் போக முடியாமல் இந்த பக்கத்திலே தங்கிறாங்க எனக்கு இருபத்தி ரெண்டு வயசில் தொழில்நோய் ஆரம்பித்தது இந்த செங்கல்பட்டு ஹாஸ்பிட்டலில் திருமணியான் இருக்குது அந்த ஹாஸ்பிட்டலில் வந்து சேர்ந்தோம் இந்த ஹாஸ்பிட்டலில் வந்து சேர்ந்து உங்கள் மக்களோட மக்களை எல்லாம் ஒன்றா இருந்தோம் வீட்டுக்கு சில பேர் சேர்த்துக்குவாங்க சில பேர் வெறுப்பாங்க நாங்கள் ஒரே இடத்துல இருந்தவங்க இல்லை எல்லாம் மாத்திரை சாப்பிட்டு வந்து அங்கே ஒருத்தர் பார்த்து ஒருத்தர் வந்து சேர்ந்து இங்கே எல்லாம் ஒரு இடத்துல இருந்து நாங்கள் ஒற்றுமையாக இருந்து வாழ்ந்துக்கிட்டு சரி அவங்கள பார்த்து நம்ம கை இல்லை கால் இல்லை ரொம்ப கஷ்டப்படுற மக்கள் இவங்களுக்கு இதுங்க பற்றியில் ஒர்க் பண்ணுவோம் அப்படின்னு வாஞ்சிக்கல அந்த மக்களுக்கும் ஏதாவது சப்போர்ட் பண்ணும் அப்படின்ற வாஞ்சிக்கல அந்த டைமில் எனக்கு நானும் மினிஸ்ட்ரிக்கு புதுசு எனக்கும் ஒன்றும் இல்லை அப்படி ப்ரேயர் பண்ணிகிட்டு இருக்கும்போது தான் ஜாக்கோட ஒரு அறிமுகம் எனக்கு கிடச்சிச்சு இப்போ தொடர்ந்து ஒரு நூற்றி இருபது பேருக்கு டெய்லி சாப்பாடு போட்டுருக்கோம் அவங்க மார்ச் போன மே மாதத்தில் ஆரம்பித்தாங்க இதுவரை ஆண்டோட கிருமினால் போயிட்டுருக்கு இந்த இதுவரை வெயில் காஞ்சாலும் மழை காஞ்சாலும் அன்னி தினமும் எங்களுக்கு சாயங்காலத்தில் சாப்பாடு எடுத்துகிட்டு வந்து தராரு அதே நேரத்தில் காலையிலேயும் ஒவ்வொரு வாட்டி நாஸ்தா அமைஞ்சு அமைச்சாலும் நாஸ்தா இட்லி ஆள் கஞ்சி இட்லி எடுத்துகிட்டு வந்து கொடுப்பாங்க வாரத்தில் ரெண்டு நாள் கறிக்குழம்பு செய்வாங்க எங்களுக்கு சாப்பாடு கொடுத்ததுனால இந்த கொரோனா டைமில் நாங்கள் வெளியே கிளியே எங்கேயும் போக முடியாது ரொம்ப கஷ்டத்தில் இருந்தோம் அந்த மாதிரி நேரத்தில் எப்போ எடுத்துருந்து கொடுக்கறத விட இப்போ கொரோனா டைமில் ரெண்டு வருஷமாக மெயினாக எடுத்துகிட்டு வந்து ரொம்ப ரொம்ப போதுமானது எங்களுக்கு எவருடே சாம்பார் வெஜிடபிள் ரைஸ் சண்டையில் சிக்கன் கறி ஃபிஷ் கறி அந்த மாதிரி பண்ணிகிட்ருக்குறோம் நல்ல மக்கள் நல்ல சந்தோஷமாக இருக்கிறாங்க ஒரு நேரம் சாப்பாட்டுக்கு அவங்களுக்கு செலவு பார்த்திங்கன்னா அவங்களுக்கு கை சமைக்கவே முடியாது அப்படி மக்களுக்கு இது ரொம்ப பிரயோஜனமாக இருக்குது ஒரு நேரம் சாப்பாடு அவங்களுக்கு ஒரு பெரிய காரியம் தான் யாரும் வேலைக்கு அவங்கள சேர்க்க மாட்டாங்க அவங்க கை கால் எப்படி இருக்குன்னாலும் வேலைக்கு சேர்க்க மக்கள் வந்து ரயில்வே ஸ்டேஷன் பஸ் ஸ்டாண்டு அந்த மாதிரி இடத்துல பிச்சை எடுக்க தான் போகிறது நாங்கள் வாரத்தில் டெய்லியும் போவோம் அஞ்சு மணிக்கு நாலு மணிக்கெல்லாம் போயிடுவோம் போயிட்டு ரெண்டு மணிக்கு ஒரு மணிக்கு மூணு மணிக்கு அப்படியே வந்து இங்கே சேர்ந்துடும் எங்களுக்கு கவர்மெண்ட்லேருந்து ஒரு ஆயிரத்தி ஐநூறுரூபா பென்ஷன் தராங்க அது எங்களுக்கு பத்தறதில்லை இப்போ நீங்கள் உங்களை மாதிரி மக்களும் வந்து எங்களுக்கு சாப்பாடு துணிமணி எடுத்து கொடுக்குறதுனால ரொம்ப போதுமானதாக இருக்குது ஆரம்பத்தில் நான் வாடகை ஒரு வீட்டில் தான் சர்ச்சு நடத்திருக்கேன் அந்த டைமில் ஆரம்பத்தில் எனக்கு அவங்கள சர்ச்சு கட்டுறது ஹெல்ப் பண்ணேன் ஜாக் ஆரம்பத்தில் செய்த அந்த ஹெல்ப்பு இன்றைக்கி ஆண்டோட கிருபையில் எனக்கு தௌசண்ட் மெம்பர்ஸ்க்கு நான் இருந்தேன் ஒன்றுமே இல்லாத நேரத்தில் ஜாக்கினுடைய சப்போர்ட்டு அந்த சர்ச்சு கட்டி தந்தது இன்றைக்கி இவ்வளோ பெரிய வளர்ச்சிக்கு காரணமாக அவங்களுக்கு உண்மையிலே நான் ஜாக் அவங்க டீமுக்கு நாங்கள் சொல்லியிருக்கேன் Wow. So, when they were saying thank you, they were really saying thank you to you. Pretty awesome, huh? So, I first went to my first leper colony in 1984. I was so touched with compassion for these people. Um because they have leprosy and it is contagious, they are not allowed to live in the regular community, so they live in communities around leper hospitals called leprosariums. And um they're beggars, that's how they make a living. And when COVID happened, um nobody was allowed to go out in india so that affected them number one but number two 
they're not allowed to live in the city, so the leper colonies are all like 45 minutes or an hour from the city. And so they can ride the buses and the trains for free to go into the city to bug every, beg every day, but they can't go right now. So we started feeding them and then feeding more. So right now we're feeding about five leper colonies. We started off feeding them one meal a day. Now we're feeding them two meals a day. And we have been for probably the last year. And each month we feed about 7,500 meals to people with leprosy. But we're also helping feed village pastors. Um, India has been much harder hit by COVID than the U.S. or any other country, really. Like 75 million people lost their jobs the day India shut down because of COVID. Because they're day workers, they live in villages, they work in farms, they get paid about $2 a day, but they couldn't work. So that affected every village and it affected every church. They can't gather, they can't give, they don't have credit cards or anything. And so we've also been distributing a lot of food to pastors, pastors' families, villages, gypsies, transgender people, um, a lot of different communities of people. And some months we've been distributing meals, like hot meals for people that are um, in, uh, in their house and they can't go out because they have COVID. They're in quarantine. And we've been distributing about 75 to 90,000 meals a month um, trying to help people. And uh, we've helped pay for our hospital bills for at least 450 pastors or their wives that have COVID, and we've played for funerals for at least 140 pastors and their wives that have died for COVID. And so when I say we, I mean you and us. We're doing it together. So thank you so much for helping us. That's just part of the partnership of what we do. We'll, I'll be going to um, Brazil in November, Panama in December. We'll go to, which she's not going with me on either one of those trips. I wish she was. She, she might, I don't know. But then we're going to Costa Rica for the umpteenth time in the last 27 years, probably 20, 25 times. And we'll do a pastor's meeting, a ladies' meeting, churches' meetings, whatever. And that's in January. And then in March, we'll go back to India, Indonesia. And so that's what we do. We train leaders. We mentor missionaries. We help the poor. We have a children's home in India. And um, that's what you help us do every month. So you're, every time you come here and you give an offering, part of that offering goes to help us and the other missionaries that your church supports. So just think about that. Every time you put 10 bucks in the offering, part of that goes to touch the world. Isn't that cool? I love the way God had that all figured out. It's not like we had to figure it out. He figured it out. How many have these papers right here? So look, there's two questions on this. I'm going to answer them during the message. But look, you can use this to keep your to-do list on there. You know, when I, when I sit and listen to a good message, I always get inspired and come up with things to do. While the preacher's out there preaching, I'm like, man, I got to go do that. So I just write it down. So you can put your to-do list on there. You can put your grocery list on there. But you could answer the two questions I'm going to give you. Think about that. So look, I'm going to speak this morning about trusting God. We need to really trust God. If I took a survey this morning, a secret survey, and said, how many of you trust God? A lot of you would say yes. If I took a public survey, every one of you would because you wanted to be embarrassed and say no. Like, if I just started saying you, 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 no, I'm not going to do that. Do you trust, do you really trust God? Do you really 
Trust God. Do you know God's will for your life? Can you hear God's voice for your life? You know, I, two of my big themes are in life and messages, it's, well, it's through all the thread of all of my messages. Number one, you must know God's will for your life. You can't trust God unless you know his will. So listen to this verse, Proverbs chapter 3. <clears throat> trust in the Lord with all your heart. So look, that could be the whole message right there. We could just say amen and go home. That's the message. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, when I read that verse, just like last night, I read it up in um, Jerseyville, and Pastor Matt told me, told all of us, actually, after the end of the service, I love, that's one of my favorite verses. That verse speaks to me so much. It should speak to all of us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. So, you know, um, I'm going to say this probably twice in this message, but it says, don't lean to your own understanding. A lot of times... When I talk about trusting God and doing the will of God with your life, and I talk about, like this morning, I'm going to talk about getting way out there on the edge of trusting God. And some people say, well, you know, you just have to use common sense. No, you don't. Common sense has nothing to do with the will of God. If you want to do the will of God, you must have uncommon sense. Uncommon sense. Common sense will get you in trouble. You know, don't trust your mind. Lean not to your own understanding. God knows the way for you, and you probably don't know it. You know, a lot of times, we, we don't know God's path for us because we don't even know the first step of his will for us. And he's not going to lead you down the path until you know his will. Well, look, I grew up in St. Louis. My dad's family all lived in St. Louis. And when I was a kid, one of my aunts and uncles said, hey, we're going to move to Ponchatoula, Louisiana. So everybody's like, oh, wow, that's a long way away. That's, that's a long way away down there, Ponchatoula, Louisiana. I mean, how will we get there? If we want to come and see you, how do we get there? You know what my aunt said? Just get on Interstate 55. How many know what that is, Interstate 55? Just get on Interstate 55 and go south to the first stop sign and turn left, and we live on the corner. People say, well, I mean, we need more instructions that. Nope, just get on the highway, go south to the first stop sign, and turn left, and we live on the corner. And back then, there was a stop sign in Ponsatula, Louisiana, on Interstate 55. It took you 10 hours to get there. But people wanted more. That's how we are. We want more. God says do something. We want more. God doesn't need to give you more till you start doing what he already told you to do. Why would he need to tell you more if you don't take the first step? I promise you, if you take the first step, he'll tell you the second step. So the two things that run in my life is, number one, knowing the will of God. You must know the will of God. How do you know the will of God? Look, it's so simple. Ask him. Just say, God, what is your will for my life? If you ask him, he will tell you. So step one, ask. Step number two, shut up. We ask God something, and we won't even shut up to let him answer. We start thinking we know the answer. Look, if you knew the answer, you wouldn't need to ask him. Just say, God, what's your will for my life? And shut up. Just see what happens. He'll speak to you. He'll speak to you in a way you can understand, in a language you can understand. And look, you don't need any other confirmation. Here's the two best ways to hear from God. Number one, read the Bible. 
I don't understand why Christians don't read the Bible. It's a letter from God to you. Well, there's a lot of stuff in there I don't understand. Well, you're never going to understand it until you start reading it. Sherry and I are on a, a path right now to read the Bible every year for 20 years, and I think we're probably around 16 or 17 right now. We're going to go over that, by the way. That's just a goal we had 20 years ago. We just read the Bible. We read the Message Bible. It's called the Daily Message. It's an app you can get on Kindle, have it on your phone. And um, we read about 15 minutes a day, one day a week. There's no reading there. It's a day of reflection. And we just read the Bible every year. And, you know, when we first started reading, look, we don't like reading. Please don't get upset with me, Teresa. If you do, I'm going to ask Tony to protect me. But we don't like reading Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Look, that's some deep digging right there. But we read it every year. And, you know, every time we read it, we learn more. We hear more. God speaks from his word. I, you know, some people say, well, I need confirmation. I need, I need confirmation. Well, look, if you need confirmation, if you would grow a little bit spiritually and become a little bit more attuned to God, you could really hear from God yourself. It is scriptural to need confirmation, to do a fleece like Gideon did, or to need a prophecy or some word from somebody. But look, if God tells you to go to Africa and you need Aunt Tootie to confirm it, when you go to Africa, you better take Tootie with you or you'll never know when to come home. You don't need Aunt Tootie. You need to hear the voice of God, the still, small voice of God. Voice of God. You need to hear it up here in your head. But if you just keep listening, it'll come down into your heart and you'll find great peace with it. So one of my themes is to know the will of God for your life and the other one is doing God's will for your life. And that all comes from maturity, growing, experience. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to struggle. You're going to find yourself on thin ice somewhere and say, oh, my God, what have I done? Well, look, even if you're wrong, God will make it right. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So the two questions on your paper, number one, can you really trust God? Can you trust God? Well, only you know that. God can know that, but only you really know if you can really trust God. And so I don't care how old you are. Look, you better get out of the boat and start walking on water. Come on. I mean, we're Christians. We're men and women of God. We're people of faith. We're people of the word. We have God on our side. How, you know, it says it in Romans chapter 8, how can you lose with God on your side? We can't lose. We just need to trust him. A lot of times... We're just waiting for something. I don't even know what. We just wait and wait and wait. Look, quit waiting. A lot of people have forgot what God told them years ago because they didn't act on it. They didn't write it down. They didn't think about it. They didn't pray about it. And they've totally forgot what God's will is for their life. And they're saying, how do I get to Ponchatoula? How do I get to Ponchatoula? Go south. Go south. Just keep going. Just go and do what God told you to do. A lady, a couple of people came up to me after the first service. But a lady came up and said, I feel like God's told me to do some kind of a, will, a woman's shelter. She started telling me all about it. I said, go do it. Start somewhere. Go do something. Just go do it. We're waiting on God, but truthfully, God is waiting on us. So listen to this verse of Scripture. This is in, um, I know it's in here somewhere. This is what happens when you have too many notes. How can you tell if you really trust God? 
Luke 16. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you, to your trust, the true riches? How, do, how can I tell if you trust God? Look, if you come up to me and you start telling me something, yeah, God told me this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You know what my first question is going to be? Are you a tither? If somebody comes to Sherry and I, which has happened many times since 1982 when we became missionaries, my first question, are you a tither? And probably I'm not even going to trust them. I'm going to go ask their pastor, is that person a tither? I'm the only guy at Life Christian Center that's ever had the privilege to walk in the finance office anytime and say, is that person a tither? You know why? Because if you can't trust God with your money, he can't trust you with riches. That's so elementary, and we, we stumble over that all the time. If you're not a tither, then you don't really trust God. And I know that's a little bit harsh, but look, that's why you have a pastor. He'll stand up here next Sunday and smooth that all out. No, he won't, because he believes the same thing. God, you have to trust God with little things before you get to big things. But when you learn how to trust God, it's amazing how things start happening. Things start compounding. One thing will happen. Another thing will happen. Another thing will happen. Then you start seeing great things happen, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. It should be that way for all of us. We should live amazing lives every day. But we have to trust God. It comes with trusting God. So look, years ago, probably around 2001 or so, I was driving up Highway 141 on Friday night, going to a service at Family Church, and my phone rang. I didn't recognize the number. I answered the phone, and it was a man that said, Brother Jack, this is Floyd Lahan. The Lord spoke to me last night, and he told me to open the nation of Indonesia up to you. I was like, wow, Floyd Lahan. So look, he's a legendary. He's legendary among preachers. He's legendary among missionaries. Um, he, he's huge. And um, I said, well, that's awesome, Brother Floyd. He said, I hope you don't mind. I got your number from a couple of our mutual friends. I said, I don't mind at all. He said, so look, God woke me up. God told me to open up Indonesia to you, which first, my really truly first thought was, I didn't know he had the key to Indonesia. But that's what he said. God told me to open Indonesia. So if you, this was like in March or April of 2001. If you'll meet me in Surabaya, Indonesia in October, I'll do what the Lord told me to do. So, you know, I just thought about that for a second. So I said, okay, Pastor Lahan, look, here's the deal, you know. I'm a preacher. I've been in the ministry a long time, and I'm going to take this advice, and I'm going to pray about it. I may even fast a couple days. I'm going to seek advice from some of my friends, and I'll let you know in a couple of weeks if I'm going to meet you in Surabaya or not. That's not what I said. I trust God, and if the man of God says go to Indonesia, I go to Indonesia. I don't need Aunt Tootie to confirm it. I don't need to pray or fast. I am a man of God. I know the will of God. I said, Brother Lahan, I will meet you there. I'll get your number off my cell phone, and when my tickets are booked, I'll let you know, but I'll meet you there. That was it. End of subject. I don't think I even went to church that night. I think I went home and told Sherry, I'm going to Indonesia in October. She said, you've never been to Indonesia. I said, you won't be able to say that after October. I'm going to Indonesia. Why? Floyd Lahan's going to open the country up for me. So I went to a fr mutual friend of mine, Jim Donzi, an electrical contractor, and I said, not a mutual friend, my friend. I said, hey, Jim, I need to make a lightning trip to Indonesia in October. You want to go? He said, what's it mean, lightning? I said, well, we'll probably leave on a Wednesday or Thursday, fly more than 24 hours, spend at least one night in the air, get there Saturday, 
stay there Sunday, fly back on Monday, get home late Tuesday night or early Wednesday. He said, I'm in. I'll go. So I sent, called Floyd and said, hey, I'm coming. He said, great. I'll see you there. Jim and I got on the airplane. If you put one finger on Waterloo and one finger on Surabaya, Indonesia, on the globe, they're almost exactly on the opposite sides of the world. We flew over there. We landed in Jakarta. We walked out of the airport. There was a guy standing there holding a sign that said Reverend Jack Harris on it. I walked up there and said, hey, I'm Jack Harris. He said, I'm Pastor Sohan Doko. I said, Pastor Sohan Doko, are you the general superintendent of the Churches of God of Indonesia? He said, I am. I said, how many churches do you serve? He said, 3,500. I said, well, I'm surprised you're holding the sign. He said, I never held a sign before. I said, why are you holding it today? He said, because Jack Harris came to, came to Indonesia. I was like, wow, they think something I don't know about. So he said, let's go get lunch. So we went and got lunch, caught another flight, flew to Surabaya, walked into a hotel. Somebody took my bags to my room. <coughs> Jim Donzi and I went, and we sat down in a room and had a meal for about four hours with Pastor Timmy, Timothy Arafins, pastors in Bali, Indonesia, 10,000-member church. Pastor Alex Tandraputra, pastored in that city, Surabaya, 120,000 members. A couple other people, Floyd Lahan, a couple guys with him. We just talked and shared stories and got to know each other a little bit. And they asked me numerous times. They said, tomorrow we're going to attend five services. Will you speak? I said, no. Please, you need to speak. You don't have to speak all five. Could you just, no, I'm not speaking. I just came here at Brother Floyd's invitation to meet you brothers. I didn't come to speak. So the next morning, I attended five services, three in a 20,000-seat auditorium, two in a 4,000-seat auditorium. It was awesome. I mean, it was amazing. Every service, Pastor Alex Tondra Pucci will lean over to me and say, Brother Jack, could you please speak this morning? I say, no, Pastor, I didn't come to speak. I didn't realize that people knocked their door down to go preach in a 20,000-seat auditorium to 120,000-member church. I didn't go there to preach. I went there because Floyd said, come, and I just went. So I met them when I was leaving Monday morning, Pastor Alexandra Putra, which I kind of like the sound of these names. I want to tell you a better one in a minute. But he said, Pastor Jack, will you please come back and minister? I think it was because of Floyd opening the door for me. They had huge respect for me, and they didn't know me. And so I said, I promise I will come back. And so Sherry and I did go back numerous times. And he introduced me to another pastor, Pastor Nico in Jakarta, had 150,000 members. We would go speak multiple services every weekend. We took friends there. We took teams there. I was like, man, this is awesome. We're preaching in these great churches. Thank God. Floyd Lahan, he opened up Indonesia for us. Indonesia is an open door for us. I thought that was it. But on December 24th of 2004, a tsunami hit Southeast Asia. When that tsunami hit Southeast Asia, the hardest hit place was Banda Aceh, North Sabracha, Indonesia. When I saw that, I told Sherry, I have to go. I have to go. So that week, I made and received 500 phone calls. And that week, I raised $250,000 to go to Indonesia. A lot more came in after that, but just that week, $250,000. I took three guys with me. We flew to Indonesia. Oh, I forgot. I called Pastor Alex and said, Alex, I want to go to Banda Aceh. He said, Bamban Yonan. Now, that's a name right there, Pastor Man. Bamban Yonan. 
I said, I don't know Bon Bon. He said, I'll call him. He'll be waiting for you. Just show up. See what I did? I booked tickets, booked tickets to Banda Aceh, Indonesia. Couldn't get a hotel room. Steve Smith, who works with us, found a hotel that was under renovation and it was closed. And he talked them into letting us stay in that hotel. And no joke, there would be rats running down the hallway when we would come in at night, but we stayed in that hotel. So we got there, Pastor Bon Bon. Man, it's so good to meet you. Pastor Alex told us all about you. What do you want to do? We would meet him every morning at 5 o'clock in his office. And we would sit there. He turned his biggest auditorium, it was 3,500 seats, he turned it into a humanitarian aid relief station. Like one of the things we did was we made thousands of boxes excuse me, it either said male, female, or child on it. And they would have vitamins, water, food, underwear, everything somebody needed for a one-month supply to exist. And we did thousands of those. We would load trucks up with them and send them on caravans out to different places for distribution. I would go in there and say, what do you want to do today, Pastor Bonbon? First day I went in there, he said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I brought some money. I want to help people. He said, well, how much money did you bring? I said, well, I have 250000 in brand-new $100 bills. He said, you have 250000 in $100 bills? I said, I do. He said, you know what? $250,000 in a disaster zone, cash is king. Which, Teresa, I bet you and Cass sent money for that. That was a long time ago. I said, I do. He said, what do you want to do? One day I walked in and said, I need 10,000-kilo ba bags of rice. That's 22-pound bags with handles. He said, where can I get 10,000 bags of rice in a disaster zone? I said, just use your phone. He made four or five phone calls, wrote down an address, said, go to this place. I went to the rice distribution warehouse area in Madan, went to this guy's address. As we drove down the road, we could see every warehouse was empty. Drove up to this guy's thing, went in there. I said, I need 10,000 bags. He said, where am I going to get 10,000 bags of rice in a disaster zone? I said, just use your phone. A few minutes, I said, I need it tomorrow by 10 o'clock. We got 10,000 bags by 2 o'clock the next day. So we had these, what do you call it when you have like a caravan of trucks going out? Going out everywhere. And we would fly out and meet them. We had two of us were traveling a missionary aviation fellowship airplane, and two of us were flying in a rented helicopter. And, um, you know, in a disaster zone, in case you didn't know, cash is king, helicopters are queen. You can go anywhere in a helicopter. So one day we were flying into Banda Aceh, and... Um, the pilots didn't speak hardly any English, but they said the president of Indonesia is in Banda Aceh, and that's where 160,000 people died in that district or county. And the president's there. We can't land at the airport. And besides that, you know, the airport wasn't as big as this room right here. It was just a little small place. He said, we have to go over the mountain. So we went over the mountain to sit down and just wait for 45 minutes. As we flew over the mountain, I saw a group of people in an area about as big as this center section, they were all just sitting on the ground. And I realized this is Friday afternoon. This is the Muslim Sunday. This is church time. They're having church. So we landed a few, I, I mean, in that, in that particular town, there were 20,000 people before the tsunami. Two waves came in 90 seconds, pushed the whole town up against the mountain. There were 1,200 people left. That day, they were out there having prayer. So we got out of the helicopter. It was extremely hot, like maybe 105, 110 degrees. We're just standing there waiting for 45 minutes. This guy comes walking across the debris field to us, and he walks up to me. He goes, are you Jack Harris? I said, how the heck do you know I'm Jack Harris? I said, how do you know I'm Jack Harris? 
He said, well, I'm the Paca Chi. I'm the mayor of this town. And I heard that you were bringing aid. I said, well, I am bringing aid, but it's going to arrive tomorrow in a boat. I'm only here today because the president, da, 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 da. So he said, well, would you like to say something to the people? I said, sure. So we go walking over there to, to this group of Muslims that are sitting there. And Pastor Bonbon had told me two things. Number one, you can't carry a Bible. Number two, you can't preach. Well, let me tell you something. Real Christians don't need a Bible. They don't need to preach. They just need to show up. So I walked over there. Those people were sitting there. He says, this is Jack Harris. He's from the USA. He's bringing aid. So I did notice that on one side of this group of people, there were two guys that had a little camp video camera. On the other side, there were two more guys. So I stood up there and said, so my name is Jack Harris. I'm from the United States. I just want to tell you that Christians in America are brokenhearted because of what's happened here. We're weeping with you because you've lost your families and your friends. And I've told my Christian friends in America about the problem here, and they've given me money. So tomorrow, a boat or a ship will come around that end of, the, of this place, and it will bring aid for you for one month. Water, food, clothes, wood, nails, hammers, and tarpaulin to build temporary buildings. And at the end of that month, another boat will come and bring more. I just want you to know that America cares about you, and we're praying for you. And I walked over and got in a helicopter, just flew away. Went and did whatever I, we did that day. We, I, Sherry and I like to go to every distribution. We want to see that what we provide for people really gets to them, and it's not watered down, diluted or something. Went back to the hotel about 10.30 that night. Pastor Bonbon called me and said, Jack Harris, do you know what happened today? I said, I do know what happened today. I went to a lot of distributions. It was extremely hot. I just got back to the hotel, and I'm hot and dirty. He said, no. Do you know what really happened today? I said, no. He said, were you in this town? I said, I was. He said, did you speak to those people? I said, I did. He said, today is the high holy day of the year for Muslims. And they were having their church service when you showed up. And did you see this camera guy and this camera guy? I said, I did. He said, well, that was our ABC and our NBC. And they videotaped you, and at 10 o'clock tonight, that was broadcast across all the 13,000 islands of Indonesia. And today, you preach the gospel to Indonesia. You know how that happened? I trust God. When the man of God said, go, I went. Look, this is a man of God. If he tells you something, you better go do it. Well, what if he's wrong? Well, he might be wrong sometimes, but he's right more than he's wrong. It's like when you help a poor person on the street. I hear a lot of Christians say, well, I don't want to give them money. They might go beer or drugs, go buy alcohol or drugs with it. So what? You give is unto the Lord, and when you give, you get God's reward. What that guy does is between him and God. You just have to be the giver. I just heard the man of God say, come. I didn't know him. I never met him. I've talked to him one or two times since then. He, he, he died last year. But when the man of God said, meet me in Indonesia, I said, okay. When you trust God and you meet God at the point he speaks to you, unbelievable things will happen. And I know when you hear me tell that story, it sounds a little unbelievable, like maybe I made some of it. Look, there's more to the story than that. Everywhere I went, I was the only, or we four were the only white people there. To all of those people, it spoke that we were Christians. They didn't need to know what country we were from. We were white Christians. They would come up to me everywhere, thank you for helping us. They didn't know who I was, thank you for helping us, thank you for helping us. 
We help people start businesses. We help people rebuild their houses. We help pastors rebuild churches. You know why? We trust God. We, we trust God. Look, for my wife and my board, if I say God told me to go to Timbuktu in the morning, my wife kisses me goodbye, and my board says, how are you going to pay for that? And I say, that ain't my job. That's your job. I just go. So if you ever want to get from where you are to that kind of place, just start trusting God. When God tells you to do something, just go do it. When God gives you an opportunity to help somebody, just go or help them. So question number one on that piece of paper, can you trust God? That's a personal question. Can you trust God? If you can trust God, amazing things will happen. You probably don't even know it, but you're probably living right now exactly the neighborhood God wants you to live in. He used the nudge factor to get there. If you didn't hear his voice say, go by the house, he nudged you there to get you where he needs you. And you probably work in the exact job God wants you to work at. And you may be wanting to move out of that neighborhood. I want a nicer house. I want, I want a better school. I want all that. Look, you can move if God says yes. But Pastor Jack, where I work, you know, people just cuss and smoke and tell dirty jokes. It's terrible. Thank God you're there. Thank your God you're there to be a bright light. Well, I really want to get a different job. Maybe God will be improved you having a better job, but maybe he will keep you right there. You're probably right where he needs you to be. Your family needs you to be a Christian. Your center friends, I've never written a book. I'm trying really hard to write a book right now, and the title of the book is I Am the Friend of Sinners, and your center friends need you to be a great Christian right where you are. They need to see the best of God in you. And you don't have to preach. You don't have to carry a Bible. You don't, you don't have to give them a gospel track. Just be their friend. Just be their friend. God's probably got you right where he needs you, but do you realize that? We always want something different, something else. Let's find out what, if, you know, let's be Christians where we are. Let's live for God where we are. Let's do great things where we are. Let's, let's lead somebody to Jesus this week. Let's help somebody hurting and help them this week. Let's find somebody that's broken and help heal them this week. Let's find somebody that's a really broken project, and it may take you weeks or months or years, but you have to do whatever you have to do to help them. So look, I told you to make a list. On my phone, I have two lists, a things-to-do list and a hit list. The things-to-do list, if you don't have one, by the way, then you're forgetting a lot of things God told you to do probably. And if you don't have a to-do list, you're probably doing the unimportant things before the important things because you don't have a priority. The second thing is you should have a hit list. That's who I pray for. I only have men on my hit list. I usually have 8 to 12 people. I met a guy in Florida a couple weeks ago. He's a vice lord, a huge club. I talked to him for 30 minutes. I knew instantly it was God, God, God. He told me all kinds of stuff in 30 minutes, almost exactly 30 minutes. He was like this. He goes, um, I got to go get something to drink. And he realized he was being too open with me, telling me too many things. So I said, well, I got to go too. And as we were walking away from that pool, which I never go to the pool or the hotel by myself in particular, but almost never, even with Sherry and I, I knew this whole thing was God. And I walked up to him and I said, so I called his name. I said, I have a hit list of guys I pray for, just about 10 guys, and I'm putting your name on it. And you'll never see me again, 
but I'll be praying for you the rest of your life. He was like, really? I said, oh, yeah. Let him think about that for a few years. Let him think about that. Yeah, that, that's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. But we bemoan the fact of some things we do. We belittle things. Look, let's rise up and be true men and women of God. Let's be Christians that trust the Lord. I'm sure a lot of you have great stories. I want you to all have stories like winning the Hell's Angels, winning the Banditos, winning the Sons of Silence, winning the Invaders, winning presidents of clubs, winning people far from Jesus to Jesus. I want you to have those stories. You know how you get those stories? You just trust God. Just trust God. So this morning, we're gonna, I'm going to pray in just a minute, and some of you are going to pray with me. Some of you have never really trusted God with your life. You're on the edge. Maybe you're not even on the edge. Maybe you don't even know why the heck you're here today. In some churches, I would just say you don't know why the hell you're here today. I do know why, because God wants to get the hell out of you. Is that okay, Pastor? You can straighten that up next Sunday, too. <laughs> Now, some of you don't know why you're here. God wants you to hear this. You need to trust him. You need to trust him with your life for today, for the rest of your life, and for eternity. And the way you do that is just say, I trust you, God. Come into my life. I give it to you. Some of you got it all together, but some of you are just a mess, and you need to give it to God anyway. Some of you are here today. You've fallen away from God. You've not served God. You've not been where you're supposed to be, and you need to come back to Jesus today. You need to come back today. You need to trust God. Just trust him with your life. So I'm going to pray first for those two things, but some of you, and I think Pastor Matt will cover this when he comes up, some of you just need to trust God to do what he told you to do 20 years ago and get yourself down to Ponchatoula. You haven't even made it to Festus. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're going to come to Jesus, I want to pray with you. If you're here today and you've fallen away from God and you want to come back to Jesus, I want to pray with you. So if you want to pray that prayer with me today, I want you to raise your hand right now and in just a minute we're going to pray together. And look, I'm not going to beg. If you want to do it, just do it. If you don't, don't do it. That's okay. God won't give up on you. He'll keep messing with you for the next 20 years. Who, okay, I see your hand back there. That is so, so awesome. Who's that guy sitting next to you? Oh, my God. You better hold his hand while you pray. He better be praying with you. If he don't, I'm coming back there. And look, I am armed and dangerous. And the guy next to you, is that your friend? I saw your hand, buddy. Come on. That's awesome. Anybody else? Come on. Look. If nobody else raises their hand, this has been a heck of a great day. These two people right here are worth the whole world. The whole world. Jesus compared the value of one human being to the whole world. You guys are worth the whole world. So we're going to pray right now. Everybody's going to pray this prayer. Just put your hand in your heart and say this with me. Jesus, I trust you. I trust you with my life. Help me, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new life. 
I want to live a great life now and for my future and in eternity. I thank you, God. Amen. Pastor Matt, thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. We love you.